Ketubans, Perik Tetz, Mishnachetz. Now, this, so in, in the previous Mishnah, we learned that there are five instances in which a woman must swear before she can collect her Ketubah payments. So this Mishnah explains the cases listed in, in, in the previous Mishnah. Hapokemetz Ketubatai Kesa. What is the case of a woman who reduces her Ketubah? Haita Ketubatai Let's say her ketubah was 1,000 zuz. But when she came to collect it from her husband, he said, so you've already received your ketubah. She said, no, I've only received one. One one hundred zuz and maneh loti para elabishvah. She's not paid on the other nine hundred zuz unless she makes an oath that she still owes that amount. Since she might not have been careful to note exactly how much her husband paid in the first time, she's obligated to swear. Case one: Edechad meidashi peruava kesad. What is the case of one witness who testifies against her and says that her ketubah was already paid? Haita ketubah ta elav zuz. So let's say her ketubah was one thousand zuz for amalahis kabati ketubatich. And when she came to collect it from her husband, he said, "So you've already received your entire ketubah." Vehi omeretz lohit kabati, and she said, "No, I've not received anything." Vehechad meidashi peruava. But then one witness comes along and says against her and says, No, it was paid. She's not paid her ketubah unless she makes an oath that she had not already received it. Although the rule is that one witness does not suffice to prevent a woman from collecting her ketubah, okay, this completely, you know, that would completely prevent her from collecting ketubah. Absolute proof, um, you know, so in such a case, to, to prevent her from collecting her ketubah, you need absolute proof such as two edim. So in this case, one witness does not. Does not suffice to prevent her from collecting the tuba. Her husband will still be troubled if he must pay her when one is, when when one witness supports his claim that she was repaid. She is therefore required to swear, though, so that he will at least be satisfied that she believes she is telling the truth. So that was case two. Case three. Min chasim mushubadim case. What is the case of collecting from sole property? Macher nechasav laachirim. If the husband sold his property to others, vihi nifrat min halakachot, and she's collecting the tuba from the buyers. Okay, so she can only do this if her husband has no longer has enough property to pay the kutubah himself. So she goes and she collects from the buyers. She's not paid the kutubah unless she makes an oath that she had not already received it. Had she collected the kutubah from the husband himself, he might have claimed that he had already paid her and insisted that she must swear first. Since the buyers are not in a position to know whether she was paid, the court makes this claim on their behalf. She must therefore swear before she can collect from them. Okay, next case. What is the case of collecting from the property of her husband's orphans? If her husband died and he left his property to orphans, so his heirs. And she's collecting her ketubah from the orphans. She's not paid her ketubah unless she makes an oath that she had not already received it. Since the heirs too are not in a position to know whether she was already paid, the court demands on her their behalf that she must swear before she can collect. But she'll not perform enough case. So what is the case of collecting the Kutubah not in husband's presence? Halach lo medin If he divorced her and then went overseas, v'hini frats, she'll not perform enough. And she wants to be paid her Kutubah from his property while not present. Eina nifrat ela bishvua. She's not paid her Kutubah unless she makes an oath that she had not already received it. Here too, if the husband was present, he might have claimed that she was already paid. Therefore, in his absence, the court makes the claim on his behalf and requires her to swear. The Mishnah now returns to two different laws taught, taught early in the chapter. Number one, if a woman is put in charge of her husband's businesses and he suspects that she stole from him he can make her swear that she did not steal and b if her husband makes a formal commitment that his heirs will not be able to make her swear she does not have to swear when she collects a kutubah from them so the next tenant disagrees with both of these laws rabbi ribi shimon omer ribi shimon says calls a man whenever she claims a kutubah after her husband's death the heirs of her husband can make her swear that she was not already paid even if the husband had already told her that they cannot make her swear 
So the law taught in early in this mission early in this mission that a woman who collects a kutubah from orphans must wear first is a decree of the rabbis to which there are no exceptions. Even if her husband said that his heirs have no right to make her swear, his word cannot override the law. The rabbis made this law for the benefit of the orphans so that they will not be taken advantage of. Okay, so they can make her swear. Okay, so 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 whenever she comes to the, the kutubah after the husband's death, the heirs can make her swear. However, if the case is one in which she is not claiming a kutubah from the heirs, rather the issue is that they suspect her from stealing the property, the heirs cannot make her swear. According to Bishman, a woman can never be made to swear that she did not steal from her husband's property. Okay? So that is Mishnah. Chet. Mishnah Tetz now. The Mishnah discusses what proof a woman must bring in order to collect her kutubah payments. Usually a woman cannot collect the payments unless she shows her kutubah documents. In some places, however, it was the practice not to write a kutubah document. Okay, so it's not necessary to record the basic kutubah commitments, such as the 100 or 200 zuz to ransom her if she's kidnapped in a document. Why? Because these are rabbinic obligations that apply even if there are no documents. So she might not have a kutubah document. So the Mishnah teaches how a woman can collect her kutubah in such places. gets If a woman came to court to claim her kutubah and she produced a get a document of divorce which shows that she was divorced but there's no kutubah document with it gova kutubah ta she can collect her kutubah even if her husband says that he already paid her although she has no proof that he still owes her the rabbis decreed that she's entitled to her kutubah as though she were holding the document in her hands so the general rule is that when one person claims that another owes him money and he has a document signed by two witnesses in which the obligation is recorded, the defendant is not believed to say he's already paid. The very fact that the claimant is holding the document serves as proof that the obligation was not paid because if it were, the document would have been torn up. In the case of the kutubah, however, the woman does not need to produce a kutubah documents because the rabbis enacted that a woman coming to collect her payments has the same legal authority as someone who's holding the document. So to make sure that she does not take her gets to a different court and collects her kutubah a second time, the court tears her gets and writes a note on the back that says we tore this get not because it's invalid but so that she cannot use it to collect the kutubah again this way she can still use the get to prove that she's divorced in order to remarry okay so the Mishnah is referring only to the basic payment of 100 Zuz in order to collect anything else that is any additional amount that the husband might have agreed to give her or the value of the sombrazel she must produce the document in which the extra obligations are recorded Okay, so this is applies only in places where the practice was not to write write to buy documents. In other places, she must show documents to the court to get paid because if a woman is expected to have a document and yet does not show one, her claim is weakened and the court rules against her. Okay, so this is what we see. So she she has no gets. She can uh, she can collect her kutubah still. Now, kutubah ve'enimaget, so an opposite situation, she produces a get, uh, her kutubah documents, even though it was not customary in that place to write one, but there is no get with it. The absence of the get indicates that she was paid. Because she, since she does not have a get, there's reason to suspect that she was already paid and the get was torn, okay, as we, as we, just, as we just said. So he amaret omeret avad giti, but then she turns around and she says, no, I don't have a get because it was lost. Vu omer avad shovari, as for the husband, if he had really paid her as he claims, he should have receipts. But, and then he says, listen, my receipt's been lost. And there are similar cases where a lender produces a loan document to collect his money from the borrower. But it is now after Shemirta when debts are cancelled. But he has no prosbul with him. A document that allows the lender to claim his money even after Shemitah. Okay, the lender says that he wrote a prosbul 
and lost it. These two claimants, so the woman and the lender, cannot be paid. Since the woman does not have a gets, we suspect that she already used it to collect a ketubah. And since the lender does not have a prosbol, we suspect that he never wrote one. Okay, so just a quick note on prosbol. Every seventh year is known as Shemitah. The Torah states that all loans due before the end of Shemitah are cancelled. Once Shemitah has passed, the lender cannot even ask for his money back. When the sages saw that the people were not lending money to the poor for fear that they would not be paid back, they decree that if a lender writes a document known as a prosbol before the end of Shemitah, the loan is not cancelled and he may still collect it. The reason a prosbol works is that although the Torah forbids a lender to demand payments after Shemitah, it does not forbid the court to do so. By writing a prosbol, the lender transfers his loan to the courts, which can then collect the money from the borrower and give it to the lender. To simplify matters, the lender himself acts as the court's agent for the collection and then keeps the money. Okay, so uh, so that's about the Shemitah. And then we say that uh, these two claimants cannot uh, cannot be paid out. They can't get their payment. The woman does not have a get. We suspect that she used it to collect a ketubah. We've learned that when a woman comes to claim her ketubah, her, the husband is not believed to say that he paid it. In this case, however, he is believed since a divorce usually takes great care to protect a divorcee, usually takes great care to protect her get because it allows her to remarry. Her claim that she lost it is highly suspect. It therefore seems likely that she used the get to collect a ketubah and that it was torn as described above. Okay, so we say that you know they don't get paid. So Tana teaches that the previous laws cease to apply at certain points in history. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel, Omer Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel says, Min Ever since the times of danger, so when idolaters made decrees forbidding the Jews from doing mitzvahs, and people were afraid to keep mitzvah-related documents, a woman can collect a ketubah even without producing it again. And a lender can collect his loan even without producing a prosbul. At that time, it became the practice to burn a get immediately after receiving it, and to burn a prosbul immediately after writing it. Therefore, the fact that a woman or lender fails to produce the required documents in court does not give us reason to suspect that either one is lying. So, and then now, even after the decrees against mitzvot were no longer in effect, the law remained the same. In the case similar, decrees could be made in the future. So now we teach, how, we learn how many ketubah payments a woman can collect after two marriages to the same man, or if she has two ketubah documents from one marriage. If a woman produces two getin and two ketubot, which shows that she married the same man twice and that he wrote her a new ketubah, and he married her she collects two ketubot from him. But if she produces two ketubot on one get, which shows that he married, which shows that he married her once and wrote her two ketubot during the same marriage. So he wrote a ketubot document when they married. And then later during the marriage, he wrote, marriage, he wrote another one in which he promised a larger sum of money. Okay, so... Um, so that that happened there. So he he married her once, wrote two ketubah, and then also gets or ketubah shnegitin, or he she produces a ketubah with two gitin, which shows that he married her twice, but wrote a ketubah only when he married her the first time. Or ketubah vegets mita, or she produces a ketubah a get and proof of the husband's death. Okay, two witnesses that testify the husband's died, which sure uh, was in the previous case that he married her twice and died after the second marriage, but wrote a ketubah only when he married her the first time. In all these three cases, she can collect only one ketubah. In the first of these three cases where the husband wrote two ketubah for one marriage, she can collect only one of them because he never intended that she should collect both. Okay, so the reason why he wrote two documents is not to let her collect two payments, but to give her a choice. Each document has an advantage and disadvantage. The second one promises a larger sum, but since it was written later, the money will be harder to collect. The first one promises a smaller sum, but since it was written earlier, it will be easier to collect. So after he wrote the first document, the husband decided to write a second more generous one, but he let her keep the first one so that she will be able to choose which one she wants to use 
use when the time comes to collect it. Okay, so that's the first one. And in the last two cases, where she has one kutubah for two marriages, she can collect only one payment, even though she was married twice. Because one who divorces his wife and remarries her without wanting, sorry, without writing a new kutubah, presumably remarries her on the condition that her first kutubah is effective for the second marriage as well. Now we give two other examples where a kutubah written for a first marriage suffices for a second marriage as well. Katan aviv. If a boy was married off by his father and he wrote a ketubah for his wife. So while he was still a child, he and his wife actually married because a father has no legal authority to marry off his son but if they stay together after he turns 13 they become legally married so a boy is married off and he wrote Ketubah for his wife Ketubah Takayemet her Ketubah stays in force even after he becomes an adult at age 13 and remarries her Shamanat Kain Kima because it was on this condition that he kept her that is he remarries her with the understanding that the original Ketubah still applies even though he wrote the Ketubah as a child when he cannot make a binding doc commitment it is understood that by staying married to her after he turns 13 he newly accepts the terms of the original Ketubah Similarly, if a convert to Jerusalem converted together with his wife, and he had written a kutubah before they converted. This is not talking about a standard kutubah since they weren't Jewish, but to a promise that he will pay a certain amount of money if he dies before her or divorces her. So they have some form of kutubah, but not the kutubah. Okay? So kutubah kayemet, her kutubah stays in force even after they convert and he remarries her. Shalmanat ken kima, because it was on this condition that he kept her, that is, he remarries her, with the understanding that the original kutubah still applies. Have a great day.